0: So let's talk about the weather for a minute. Uh, It's warm, but it's rainy outside right now. And rainy days like this, I think, only give us one message. Rainy days at this time of year, I should say. And that is, time is running out. So if you're like me, you probably looked ahead in the weather forecast to see when are these rainy days going to be over, and when are we going to have some warm days left, because winter is coming. And we really want to take advantage of those warm days. right? And so this kind of play with the weather right now does something interesting to us as as Minnesotans. Um, We start behaving in unusual ways knowing that indeed time is running out. There will be armies of joggers hitting the paths around the lakes very soon. Uh, Those of you who have Subarus, I'm pretty sure that we'll be seeing a kayak on top of those pretty soon. This is standard Minneapolis behavior, I think. Uh, If you were to drive around the cities, and any time you see two trees that are within 10 feet of each other, chances are pretty high that you're going to see a hammock connecting them uh, this next weekend. It's an exciting time. It's a good time to be alive, right? (laughs) But enjoy it while you can, right? Because time is running out. Now, this is a silly example of this sentiment. Um, This same sentiment kind of hits us in more serious ways sometimes, too. Uh, I have teenagers in my house right now, and so my wife and I are often uh, commenting to one another, time is running out. They're about to, to leave forever, and we'll never see them ever again. <laughs> that was not timed. Uh, <laughs> great. <laughs> Pastors, kids, must be great. <laughs> um, yeah, so time is, is running out. Now, our lectionary has us in the book of Philippians for the next several weeks, and so I think it'd be good for us to kind of park here for the next several weeks. And if you've been here previously, you know that I've spoken about uh, just, just my, my personal feeling and, and wondering if this is perhaps a calling for the church to sort of return to Christian basics. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Christian love, and then last week, we talked about Christian forgiveness. And today, I want us to look, about, look at Christian life and death. Just basic things of our faith, basic things that we should be talking about as believers. And that's certainly where Philippians has us here today. This is a book written by Paul. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, and scholars aren't quite sure uh, where Paul is writing this, what city he's writing this from. Everyone knows that he's uh, writing this from prison, but we don't know what city he was imprisoned in. Most scholars would say Rome, uh, but there's arguments about that. Regardless, the sentiment is clear. Paul is sitting here in prison, and he knows that uh, it's quite possible that he could be receiving a pretty terrible sentence. He could see his execution uh, coming towards him. It's looming over him right now. And so he's asking himself, in light of this awareness that time is running out, he's asking himself, what if this is it? What if I were to die here? What, What will I have missed out on, and what will I gain if I were to die right now? And these are questions that all of us ask at some point, right? All of us wrestle with this. I mean, you don't need to be a Christian to to know about the reality of death, right? At some point, you're confronted with the fact that time is running out. Maybe it's a loved one who just received a a health diagnosis, and so your time with them is short. Or maybe you yourself have received something like that. When these kinds of moments come to our attention, things that that were really important to us might not be important to us anymore. And things that were originally on the back burner all of a sudden get moved up. And so we start focusing on those things. And so now Paul is having one of those perspective-defining moments and as he weighs this possibility of his, of his potential freedom, but also his potential execution. And so in verse 21, he says, as he's weighing these things, he says, "...for me to live as Christ... And to die is gain. Now, he doesn't know which is going to be in his immediate future. It could be either one of those. But like I said, time is running out. So he asks himself, "What is the? how should I approach death? And what should be the shape of my life? And that's going to form the next two halves of my message. So we've talked about the weather. We've gotten the light stuff out of the way. So let's talk about death now. <laughs> So Paul says, to die is gain. And this comes through so vibrantly in his life and in his ministry. To die is gain. He says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. I love that he uses the word depart in this. Um, it's, It's a traveling word, right? Like we don't always talk about death in terms of departure. Like that's that's strange, that's unusual. And so I wonder what sort of metaphors were bouncing around in Paul's imagination when he decided to use the word depart. Paul's a tent maker. Uh, maybe camping metaphors came to mind. Maybe, maybe just living a, a transient life and moving from location to location was coming to mind because really that's our nature as Christians. We are in these, these tempor, temporary uh, bodies that one day will be folded up And we will depart and we will set forth on a journey and we will arrive at a new destination, a permanent destination, a solid destination, an eternal home with Jesus. So we will depart, we'll put away our tent and we will step into our new bodies, this new created order that God has for us. But I wonder perhaps if he's using a different, using this this word in a different sense. Maybe he's using it in a sense of, of sailing, you know, because obviously this was a, a large part of, of his life and also the lives of the disciples. In fact, you remember that story in John chapter 6 when, when Jesus calms the storm? You know, so Jesus sends the disciples out ahead of them. They, they leave from one side of the sea. They depart for the other side of the sea. And, and on, in the middle of the sea, this big storm comes. And Jesus sees them. He goes to them. He calms the storm. And then he gets into their boat. And do you remember that curious phrase, that immediately happens? The text says, and immediately they found themselves on the other side of the sea. It's like all of a sudden, boom, their, their boat is, is uh, on the beach. They're on solid ground there. They can step out. And so I wonder if when Paul uses this, he's thinking perhaps of that story, knowing that we're all accosted by storms. And one day the great storm itself, death, will come at us. But we will depart The divine pilot will step into our boat. He'll take the helm. And when we open our eyes, immediately we will find ourselves upon the shores of heaven, standing with our Savior, seeing our Savior, our Lord, our pilot, face to face. Perhaps that's what Paul means here. Well... Paul says, oh how I want to depart, oh how I I want to leave behind all the dangers of this broken world, all the the evil storms that are sent to me by the devil, all the difficulties of my circumstances. Paul wants to leave behind, he wants to to pack up, he wants to get into the boat, he wants to depart. And what does he want to depart to? What What does he say here? He says he wants to be with Christ. With Christ. Do you hear the certainty of hope that he speaks with in this passage? Now, admittedly, the Bible doesn't talk too much about what life after death looks like. And if you've been here at Restoration uh, long enough, you've, you've heard me kind of speculate uh, about what that looks like. And uh, sometimes uh, we Christians can get a little bit of danger when we kind of allow our imaginations to go too far into what that realm looks like. But I think it's kind of fun sometimes. <laughs> um, but the Bible is crystal clear about something. And that is that you will be with Jesus on the other side i mean he says my desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far far better and it's not just paul who talks like this jesus himself goes and he and he tells us he speaks to us of eternal things he speaks to us of, of abundant life with him and then the abundant life that we'll have with him again on the uh, in the eternal life he says whoever believes in me will have eternal life Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, a home for you, a dwelling place for you. I'm preparing. Even as he's hanging upon the cross, he he looks to, to the thief beside him, and he says, today, today I will be with you in paradise. In another one of his letters, Paul, the apostle, he writes, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give new life to our mortal bodies through his spirit who already dwells within us. Paul is obsessively pointing himself and his flock to the eternal life that we will have with Jesus. The Apostle John says that on that final day, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So for those of you who are in Christ, those of you who've been washed in the waters of baptism, who've heard the the words of favor proclaimed over you, that you belong to the Lord, that, that you are his beloved son or daughter, You don't know when you will die, you don't know how you will die, but you know who you will be with, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the flock, the Lord of our souls and of our hearts. You will be with Jesus. As our prayer book says, we will see him face to face. How glorious and beautiful that is. So what does that mean in terms of how we approach death, our own death, but also when we experience the death of a loved one? Does it mean that we celebrate this, that we throw parties? I don't think so. Does it mean that we go the stoic route and we just ignore it and we pretend as if it has no bearing on our lives? I don't think so. Paul himself actually gives us a a good model if we were to, to read ahead a little bit He's talking about his friend, Epaphroditus, and he says that Epaphroditus almost died, almost passed away, but for some reason, the Lord had mercy on him and restored him back to full health. And, and Paul just kind of speculates for a little bit. He says, I wonder if, this is because, if if God showed him mercy so that I would be spared, Paul talking about himself, if, if I would be spared from sorrow upon sorrow. So even Paul, he, he doesn't approach death with this kind of stoicism He knows that when he loses a a good friend, a colleague, that that is a sorrow upon sorrow. Paul is following the example of Jesus Christ himself, whose friend dies and Jesus goes to the grave. He's angry at death itself and he grieves, he weeps in that moment. And so friends, when your loved ones pass away, it is good to grieve. It is good to recognize the loss that we have in that moment. That we don't have their presence in our life. We don't have their companionship anymore. And that is something that it is good and right for the Christian to grieve. There is a loss there of friendship, of companionship in those moments. So uh, a few months ago, a a dear friend uh, of of our congregation, Hee Jung, uh, she passed away in Scotland and uh, if, if you watched the live stream of her funeral, you, you heard an excellent sermon on death by Pastor David, and he talked about death as, well, he said this. He said, death is normal, but it's not natural. It's normal in a sense that we're, we're, we, we expect it. We know that it's a normal part of this life, but it's not natural. It's not the way in which God designed us to be. We're not supposed to taste death. It's not supposed to be a part of this world. And so when we encounter it, there's a reason why we're confused and sorrowful about it. It's because it's not natural. It's it's not the intention of God for us to die, to experience that. So it is good and right for the Christian to grieve over death. So what does Paul say about death? He says that it's a a departure from this world, but it is an arrival into the presence of of Jesus himself. So when the Christian dies, you gain the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ. Okay, let's talk about life now. So Jesus, or Paul, Paul says to live is Christ. And then later he says to live in the flesh, that is to live here in, in this world, he doesn't mean flesh in like a sinful way. He means to live, to live in, this, in this current reality here in the flesh, before God recreates this entire cosmos, to live now means, for Paul, fruitful life, fruitful labor, he says, fruitful work. And in the next verse, Paul says, this is more necessary on your account for you He says, I'm convinced of this. I I know that I must remain and I must continue with with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, he says. So if if Christian human existence was all about the benefit of the individual, of ourselves, for our own joys and and personal happiness, well, then, then Jesus should just zap us up into heaven immediately, right? Like when we get saved, he should just take us up. But we know that, that that's not the reality that he has for us. Paul says that he chooses life, that he pursues a, a full life in the here and now for the sake of his community, for the sake of those who he's, placed into relation, who he's been placed in relationship with. In other words, there's, there's loved ones in Paul's life who are depending on him, and he's deeply connected with them, and they, they benefit from his presence. Paul is a spiritual father to this church in Philippi. He has a responsibility to them. He has a presence in their community. Granted, it's from a distance, but he wants to be with them. He, he wants to physically be with them. He, his presence is ministering to them, his actions and his behavior. They, they model what a righteous life in Christ looks like and how beautiful that is. But also, Paul is a teacher to this community. He explains matters of truth in a way that, that bring clarity and, and, and brings order to the way in which they ought to live their lives but also, Paul is an overseer. That means that he disciplines those who are perhaps acting out in the community and, and, or those who perhaps are a threat to the health of the community. He's, he's an overseer in this sense. He's also an encourager. That is, when he notices, uh, or he notices, he identifies, and he articulates when he sees the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives. He says, I think God is at work in your life right now. But even more than this, Paul is more than just what he does for other people. He is a walking testimony of the power of God. He is a, a human life that has been redeemed, purchased, and loved by God. And so even just by being with his people, he reminds them of the power of God at, in, in this world. He's a story of God's relentless pursuit of even the most notorious of sinners, that God, can tra- that God loves and, and transforms sinners. God, or Paul is constantly reminding them. And so in his life, Paul, his life, is a story, a sign, a testimony, an icon of God's love. So Paul is saying, by God's grace, I want to be a blessing to you. I want my life to be a blessing to you. So I've been talking about weather, but then death and life. And if you're here this morning and you don't identify as a Christian, if this is something that, that you don't know, that, that as you ponder your own death, you are unsure of what's on the other side and you want that confidence of knowing Jesus, even if you want that, if you desire that, that in, its, in and of itself, that desire to want to know God is a gift from the Holy Spirit. It is a seed, it's a a seed from the Holy Spirit of him at, at work in your heart in that moment. And so maybe even now, you would just pray to the Holy Spirit and say, would you give me more desire for you? Would you give me faith? That is, would you give me eyes to see you at work in my life? Because I'll tell you this, living a life of your own pursuits, trying to create your own significance on your own, that will not get you anywhere. That will not provide any sort of eternal confidence for you, you can only find that when you root yourself in Jesus Christ and his love and his embrace and his spirit. So in a little bit after, uh, in our service, after communion, there's prayer ministers that will be available in the back. And they would love to pray with you about these things. If you're struggling with your faith, even if you've, you've been here at Restoration since day one or you've been a Christian your entire life and you're struggling in your faith and you, and you want confidence of, of what's waiting for you on the other side, go to the prayer ministers and ask for that. They would love to pray with that, and I guarantee you're not the only person in the room who's struggling with that, who feels that way. So please avail yourselves of, of those prayer ministers. You can also shoot me an email or, or reach out to me after the service. I'd, I'd love to connect with you and, and pray with you. May you give your life to Christ, the pilot of your soul, the shepherd of the sheep, the one who loves us dearly, who gave his life for us so that we could experience his abundant life but what about those of you who do call yourselves Christians? Well, the good news is that you don't have to be a first century apostle in order to have a life that is glorifying to God, that is worthy of God's love. Because the same way in which I described Paul describes every single man, woman, and child who is here, and the gifts that you have to offer not just to this community, but, but to those who God has placed in your care, to those who you're in relationship with. By your presence, your actions and your behavior reflect a beautiful life in Jesus Christ. By your words, you point to the truth of God and, and the, the promises of God and the love that he's declared to us. There's holy scriptures. As a kind friend, you gently point out possible challenges that are going on in the lives of those around you. As an encourager, you notice and identify and articulate the work of the Holy Spirit at work here in this community and in the communities, uh, other communities that you are a part of. Your presence is an icon of God's love. You, your presence is an icon of God at work, that he redeems sinners, that he loves the world. Just your presence is a reminder of that. So know that you are loved by God and that your life matters to him. You who despair... You who have anger towards the Lord and anger towards life. As God asked Jonah, what good is that bringing you? Lay that before the Lord and know that he wants to replace that with with his joy, with his delight, for your own sake, so that you too can experience that peace and that confidence of a life with Christ, but also for the sake of those around you, that they too can be reminded of the love and the life that is had within our Savior, Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you offer us abundant life. Thank you, Lord Christ, for forgiving us our sins, for for filling us with your Holy Spirit, for uniting us with you and your righteousness, Lord, so that we can have a heart like yours and speak of the things that you like to speak about and to love the things that you love. So Lord, may you grant us more of your grace, more of your Holy Spirit to form us more into your likeness. And Lord, I pray for those This morning who are perhaps um, afraid of, of these kinds of things that we've been talking about. That are concerned about what's waiting for them on the other side of death. Lord Jesus, may you meet them in this moment. May you meet them in their doubt and in their fear. May they sense your Holy Spirit, Lord Christ. And Lord, I pray for others in this community that we would be reflections of your glory. As signs of the abundant life that you offer to us through your son, Jesus Christ. That this, Lord, would be a garden of life. That this place, Lord, restoration, would be a place that, that just is so palpable and evident and, and fragrant with, with your presence, Lord. That this would be a home of life. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.